This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. Where is evangelicalism headed when it comes to fully embracing so-called LGBTQIA plus Christianity? That acronym keeps on getting longer. Well, as I mentioned yesterday, I've been warning about this movement for a long time. I know back in 2017, we started telling you about a so-called Christian book called Single Gay Christian, recommended by D.A. Carson, one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition. And the author of that book ended up in Revoice. And that was was 2018 when we started telling you about Revoice. Revoice was all about pushing the ideas of gay celibate Christianity and sexual minorities directly into the Presbyterian Church in America, which is a historically conservative denomination that has since spiraled downward in a seemingly unstoppable progressive spiritual plummet. Now, since then, the downgrade across the evangelical spectrum has only accelerated with the influence of Revoice, which is why yesterday we played for you excerpts from a Revoice webinar featuring a gay-straight friendship between two youth pastors who live together and say they hope one day to join forces as a household threesome when and if the straight youth pastor finds a wife. I mean, you really can't make this up, folks. But I wanted to revisit this issue today because I think it's really important to take some time and answer the underlying lies of this movement from a biblical perspective. And so I've invited back on the show my friend Stephen Black, who is executive director of First Stone Ministries, which leads people in the body of Christ to freedom from homosexuality and sexual brokenness through a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. Stephen is also the author of Freedom Realized, and it's so good to welcome you back. Stephen, how are you? Good to have you here. Thank you, Janet. Always great to be on with you. Seriously, thank you so much. Thank you. You know, you and I, I was thinking about this because back in 2017, you and I did a whole show on single gay Christian, and we started talking about the dangers of so-called gay Christianity beginning to grow and and, and get a little bit more popular. And, And here we are now. We've got this issue of two youth pastors living together and openly discussing being a household. What do you make of this? Well, it's tragic, uh, and what is being propagated among even those that call themselves conservative Christians, that there needs to be a movement of compassion and love towards the same-sex attracted struggler. And I would certainly agree with that sentiment, but not about the way that they are going uh, in the direction of normalizing the unnatural affections of homosexuality, same-sex attraction. And so although the church should be compassionate, they should not be compromising and bowing down to what is, you know, been called by um, Mark Yarhouse and D.A. Carson, sexual minorities within the church. And so this is a huge erosion that's taking place. You and I have talked about it before, many others that are looking at this from a biblical orthodox worldview and the divine intention of God as one man and one woman, as was noted before, you know, the 18th 
1970s with all the psychobabble and psychology, and even though there is some good things about psychology, this has taken us from the American Psychological Association of a, a gay a narrative, an orientation narrative, and mixing it with antinomianism, hypergrace, and on the other side of this now we have LGBTQ Christianity, the Revoice Conference, the Gay Christian Network, and it's all becoming very um, mixed, and it's becoming very cloudy, and a lot of people in the church don't understand the underlying pending issues with these people that are broken in their souls that need healing. And, you know, if we're going to be compassionate, we, we have to help people to understand that this is not the pathway for helping people, having a, what's called an ever-straight uh, youth pastor entering into what now is being called a, a family with a man who has communicated that he is in love with this pastor and that they eventually want to have maybe the ever straight pastor uh, to marry a woman and have a couple. Oh, it's just beyond the pale. I want to play this cut for people who weren't able to hear this yesterday so we can put this in perspective, Stephen. This video I'm talking about, a Revoice webinar, was of two men, one by the name of Art Pereira, who is director of youth ministry at Hope Presbyterian Church, a PCA church in New Jersey. He says he's gay and celibate. And then the other man is a straight man, Nick Galuccio, who is a youth and young adults pastor at Stonecrest Community Church in Warren in New Jersey, and I want you to listen to Art describing his relationship with his straight roommate, as you mentioned, Stephen, calling them a family. Listen to cut one. It started developing to where we realized, okay, we're family, what's that mean? And Nick started feeling more and more called, like, I remember this one day specifically, I was, like, crying about the weight of celibacy, like, coming home from work and having no one to, like, sit down with after a long day at work, and I'd gotten, like, attacked at work that day, and it was just the worst, and I just had no one, and Nick's calling me, and I'm, like, crying, and I remember you going like, well, it's, it's really important to me that you wouldn't just come home to no one every day. And I'm like, well, that's great. But like, what does that mean? Right. Um, so over the past two years, two years, we've developed uh, kind of our vision for what life's going to look like. And, and this friendship's become, um, became a family and then became a household. So um, it's been a lot of time together and a lot of hard conversations, uh, but we moved in together 10 days ago, 10 days ago. Um, which, by the way, if you struggle with insecurity, a two-year lease is such a great way to lock someone in. Highly recommend. Like a legal contract and his security deposits in my name. So, like, I got his money. He's, he's staying. Like, he's, he's mine. All right. So many problems there, Stephen, when we're talking about the terminology being used. He's referring to his relationship with his straight roommate as a family and as a household and talking about the joys of locking someone down for two years with a lease because he's mine. They're in no way a family. They're not man and woman married with children, how in the world can they be a family? Again, we're back to this whole problem that we've seen with this gay Christianity movement. We're just going to redefine the family, which is exactly what the culture is trying to do. Exactly. That's what the human rights campaign has been busy doing in eroding the church, that the definition of family must change. It can't be one man, one woman. And so now you've got two Christian leaders are supposed to be leaders. Yeah, and what, 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 what is crazy about this is I want to call out and say, you know, what's going on at uh, 
uh, Stonecrest Community Church, and their their you know their lead pastor, uh, Doctor uh, uh, I guess it's pronounced Bortner, uh, Doug Bortner, you know, and and allowing for his youth pastor to enter into what would be an inordinate relationship with a man who has unnatural affections towards him. Admittedly, he's saying he's been in love with his youth pastor. And when you watch the video, the the gay the guy who calls himself a gay Christian is actually like railroading the entire video about their relationship and he's just kind of nodding along going yeah and smiling right. and I'm going right. dude do you not understand that you are allowing this person to be codependent to be emotionally idolatrous enmeshed with you that this is a very broken narcissistic and envious idolatrous relationship and and these people like the gay christians and the revoicers they like to you know kind of put some kind of a veil in the eyes and the minds of christians that this is somehow loving and compassionate and actually janet it's idolatrous this, that's what's going on here at the heart of this, is you've got men that are allowing for other men to, quote-unquote, be romantically uh, in love with them and let them actually be led along. Well, that's narcissistic, yeah. and that's very broken, and um, there's so much distortion and, quite frankly, spiritually oppressive uh you know, environment around those two people's souls. Yeah, no, and you're right. Anyone that is a is a pastor or leadership should have discernment about this. You know, it goes back to Ephesians four verses seventeen through nineteen. These unnatural, uh, immoral affections that are specifically sexual and lustful. Yes, that cannot even be named among us. I'll tell you what, Stephen. We're going to pause right there, but we'll come back. Stephen Black with us. We're discussing the bad fruit of Revoice. We'll be coming back on Janet Mefford today. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International on Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. In many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, and Mozambique, nine of 10 Christians are denied God's word by corrupt governments and majority religions. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me. And now it will mean so much to these Bibleless Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor Abel. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, and a limited time match will double your gift and help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Please call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates banner at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I am picking up on a subject that I addressed on yesterday's show, but I'm doing it with someone I fully trust to be able to see the biblical narrative behind all of this that needs to come out. And I'm referring to what just was revealed on the internet, a webinar from Revoice that came out a few months back, but it's just kind of come to light at the moment. It's two youth pastors, one who calls himself a celibate gay Christian and another one who calls himself straight and they're living together and they're saying that they're forming a family and a household. And if the straight one gets married, then it'll be three of them together in a household. I mean, it's just unbelievable what this this movement is producing and yet not so much because when you begin to leave the confines of scripture and you begin to just feel your way through a situation which is so disordered and so idolatrous as my friend Stephen Black has put it that you are now seeing how bad it can possibly get. Now I want to go to one cut and then I want to get Stephen Black's take from First Stone Ministries. This is another cut. This is Art the Celibate Gay Youth Pastor. By the way, they're both youth pastors. Celibate Gay Art says that he and his straight brother, Nick, are brothers, but they're planning to share their lives together. Listen to cut two. We consider each other brothers. We're deeply committed to each other, um, which has taken me some while to trust that, but it's really cool that now I can. Uh, but we're planning on sharing life together for the rest of our lives, which we're not totally sure what that looks like. Obviously, Nick is straight and he does plan on getting married but we're totally committed to finding a way to, to live together and function as a household. And there's different ideas of what that looks like, right? There's a lot of details we don't know. Do I, you know, live in a house with them or do I live next door? My, my dream world is to have a hobbit hole out back, like an actual hobbit hole. And I just like go retreat to my hobbit hole every day. Um, also, I don't want to live with screaming kids. So that sounds awesome. But uh, no offense to anyone with kids. Kids are a blessing from the Lord, just not for the celibate man. So, um, you know, but we... We've got a few things worked out, which is that we don't move without each other. Um, if he moves, I move. If I move, he moves. And uh, we make decisions together as a family. Uh, whatever, like big, like if we get a, if I get a job someplace and that means uh, a change of location, that's a decision we make as a family. Uh, when he has a wife one day, she'll make those decisions with us. Yeah. Okay. What woman would accept that arrangement? But again, Stephen, when I'm listening to this, what I'm thinking to myself is you're redefining family while you're a youth pastor. Would you want to send your kids to either of these guys as youth pastors at a local church? What is wrong with these churches that they're seeing this stuff and they're saying, oh yeah, he's totally qualified for ministry. What What is your thought on that? Well, I, I think that there's so many levels that are problematic 
And, you know, and, and I think your listeners need to understand, uh, you're talking, I'm speaking as someone who lived the homosexual lifestyle for eight years. Yep. I came out of it almost 40 years ago. I've been in ministry for 30 years and helping literally hundreds of men, thousands now, uh, actually overcome and come out of this. And the root problems of this is they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, almost patronizing the uh, ability to be codependent and emotionally idolatrous. And so, you know, any anyone sending them their uh, teenager or youth uh, to somebody like that, there's, there's very many layers of problems with that because yeah. Yeah. they would, again, you know, not look at the holy ways of God in mentoring and discipling their teenagers and what God's plan is for human sexuality and God's plan for a holy relationship. And so my heart actually breaks for this situation. Um, and yet, I, you know, I want to I wanna call out the leaders and the elders of the church and saying, you guys are doing a poor job at helping these young men, allowing this this Nick guy and this art guy to enter into a household where they're going to call themselves a family. And then they want to bring a woman into this and form a relationship. Anybody that would do that, any woman that would allow herself to be put in that situation is somebody who is not healthy. And we need to recognize this in the church at large, that we need to be discipling and helping people in what healthy and holy relationships are really like. Well, we do. And and really what you were discussing before when you were talking about how art takes over during the course of this webinar and just kind of you can tell he's dominant. And, and what's really happened, it seems, in this situation is an effective erosion of moral outrage on Nick because Nick, who's straight, ends up, and I don't have time to play it, but he ends up talking about how well, I don't know, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable, but then I wonder if that's my fault and my homophobia. I mean, he's he's complete. It's such a creepy situation. And I want you to comment on something in particular, Stephen, because I don't want to run out of time here. One of the things that this guy Art mentions in this webinar is that he had read Wesley Hill's book, Spiritual, right. Friend- Spiritual Friendship, and you know this well. Can you briefly tell people what that book was about and how that could be the root of what you're seeing in this webinar? Oh, it absolutely is. It's the normalization of having a homosexual identity as Wesley Hill, Dr. Wesley Hill, to normalize in the Episcopal Church and in the Anglican Church the idea that you can be a homosexual Christian, his words. And so now it's called gay Christianity, and now, just in the last few years, it's called sexual minorities within the Church, normalized in the Gospel Coalition, yep. among who are some of Wesley Hill's friends. And so this is this is eroded into mainline evangelical churches. You've got the Southern Baptists and the PCA that are actually brainwashed into this idea that people are going to be celibate, and yet they're going to have unnatural, inordinate affections and desires normalized because of what the American Psychological Association says, which is that orientation rarely changes. And so this is being normalized now in the evangelical church, and that's what Wesley Hill's book, Washington Waiting, did, is it promoted the idea among, you know, leaders in the Gospel Coalition, PhDs, 
you know, you know, you got the Pope of the Southern Baptist, Albert Moeller, and and his uh, son and their friends with Wesley Hill, and then you got Nate Collins coming out of the the Southern Baptist Theological Association, and all these people are friends. Is the normalization of celibate gay Christianity, and yet they talk about their own problems with fantasy and pornography use and sexual sin that's going on in the heart. Yeah, yeah. And we need to sound the, re- sound the alarm and the red flag. This must be repented of. Well, one of the passages that comes to mind when we're looking at all this, and I want to talk in the last few minutes we have about the biblical response to this, but 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the sexual immorality going on in the church, and he said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And I didn't mean the immoral people of the world. I was talking about immoral people in the church. What do we do with that passage as it relates to people who say, I'm a gay Christian? What should these churches be doing in light of this passage? Well, they have to confront them like Matthew 18. They need to go to them privately, and then they need to take two, and they need to bring the scripture. My of course, my go-to passage is also Ephesians chapter 5, and he says there also in verse 7, after he warned them that you can know that no one who practices this kind of impurity and idolatry, uh, that once you've warned them, you're not to be partakers with them. Verse 7 in Ephesians 5 says the same thing. So the Scripture actually repeats itself in many times in the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. Once you have confronted somebody and they won't repent, or even some of these now mainline denomination and, and church leaders, if they won't repent, to this clarion call of holiness in the church regarding human sexuality, we're not to even associate with such a people. And we're actually to do what you and I are doing on the air, is tell the church, this is what's going on. You know, you've gotten a bad rap, I've gotten a bad rap naming names, but you know, the Apostle Paul did, and we are supposed to be biblical and name names and say, church, and, and sheep, you need to be confronting your shepherds about allowing this erosion. Well, right. And I mean, when you and I started talking about the Revoice Conference very early on and telling the world about it, and then we put on our God's Voice Conference as a reaction and a response, a biblical response to this, there were people who were doubting us. And there were people who were saying, it's not that bad, you guys. Now, now you look at where it's going. And where do you think Revoice will take the church, Stephen, if we continue to see this trajectory that's out there? Well, they've also, uh, the very church that they had the first conference, Greg Johnson's church, they had a transgender, um, you know, drag queen uh, party in the, the recreation uh, uh, community of, of their church. And then backed off. And, yep. they, and, and now they're going to throuples. It's going to throuples. <sighs> this is pansexuality and polyamorous sexual behavior being normalized under the banner of Christianity and compassion. Well, yeah, and I don't know if Art sees himself as being involved with a potential wife, but the fact that he's saying that together they'll form a household. I did ask what woman would accept this arrangement, and then I kind of had to check myself and say, Janet, wake up. Somebody would. Look at where we are as a church. Somebody would accept this and go, oh, I'm so non-homophobic. Look how open-minded I am. That's being open open-minded is not the job of the Christian. The, the point of an open mind is to hear the truth, receive the truth, and latch on to the truth and never let go of it. 
And that's real love. And bold truth speaks the love boldly because we want souls to be delivered from this kind of bondage. Of course. And, and, that's, and Jenna, I just want to say thank you for bringing this to the attention of so many people that need to understand. If we're going to love boldly, we have to proclaim the truth boldly. Amen. That's, that's why I love talking to you, because you are nothing if not bold, Stephen. A uh, few seconds left, but just briefly, if you could, Stephen, give the hope of Jesus Christ to those who might be struggling with this sin, very briefly. Well, my book, Freedom Realized, shows that there's over uh, dozens of Christian leaders who have been helping people overcome homosexuality, for, and they all have over 20 years of experience. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are doing this kind of ministry and love people and want people to find success in a surrendered relationship where Jesus Christ is Lord, not Amen. just merely Savior. Well said. And you can check out more at firststone.org, the website of First Stone Ministries, headed up by the great Stephen Black and his fabulous team. Stephen, thank you so much for being here again. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you very, very much. You are listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Hey, everybody. I just want to take this opportunity to thank you again for helping us send Bibles to Africa. As you know, we here at Janet Mefford Today are partnering with Bible League International to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa, where nine out of 10 Christians have no access to a Bible. Can you imagine that? And you guys have been responding in a big way. I cannot thank you enough for your generosity, but we want to keep the momentum going here in the next few weeks. It only costs $5 to send a Bible to Africa. Can you believe that? For a $35 gift, you can send seven Bibles and a $100 gift today will send 20 Bibles. Right now, of course, there is a limited matching gift where all gifts received will be doubled. So we would love to have your participation. Please help us if you can. Here's how you can do it. Just call 800 yes Word, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there is a Bible League banner to click at JanetMaffer.com. Again, that number is 800-YES-WORD. And we're going to find out more about what's been going on with our campaign right now and for our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world. Joining us is Michael Woolworth, who is Senior Director of Broadcast Media at Bible League International. Michael, so good to have you with us again. How are you? Hey, Janet, doing great today. Great to hear your voice. And uh, listen, listeners, thank you for helping us get it done. We set this uh, number, and we are right about at that number. But I can tell you, Janet, the need's so great. Can we just kind of continue to see this thing uh, move forward? Absolutely. Yes, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, because you can never send too many Bibles, because the need is so great. And I wonder if you could fill in listeners a little bit about that need. I had mentioned that number before, which we've discussed in the past, Michael, nine out of 10 Christians having no access to a Bible. To us, that's unimaginable. We have so many Bibles here in the United States. What is contributing to those numbers and why is it that so few Christians actually have access to the Word of God? 
Well, we're going to focus on that uh, in a moment uh, in this segment uh, today. But, uh, but Christian persecution is uh, is on the rise there. There's not a place uh, in Africa that's unaffected by uh, Islamic extremists. But there's poverty, there's remoteness, uh, there's corrupt governments who do everything they can to keep the gospel from spreading in different parts of um, Africa. And so, Janet, this is our 83rd year of ministry at Bible League. We've served on the continent of Africa for many, many decades, and we've noticed a trend, and that is in many of the places where we serve, like Kenya, Mozambique, uh, Ghana, and Tanzania, um, about nine of ten Christians have no access to the Bible. In fact, it's very common to visit a local church, maybe of 200 people, and find there may be 10 Bibles in there. The pastor may be the only one with a Bible, and so that's very commonplace. I know as I've traveled that continent, and we've met with end users of Bible League materials and uh, you know Bibles, we, we find that that's often the case. But oh, the joy that comes when you finally get your hands around uh, the Word of God in your own language. And uh, Janet, that's what your listeners are helping us do today. Well, I'm excited about that, and I know our listeners are too. It's just such an incredible thing that you can send a Bible for $5. It's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about some of these areas that you mentioned. I know that you just mentioned Mozambique. What is going on in Mozambique in particular? Yeah, you know, if you if you toss uh, Christian persecution in Africa into a search engine, here, here's what you'll find. This is current news. Radicals killed 14 Christians in Burkina Faso. 300 Christian girls kidnapped from a school in Nigeria. And then in the Mozambique, 20 Christians beheaded by ISIS. Let me delve into that story. In fact, it's connected to Bible League. We know the congregation where those 20 Christians just off the coast of the Indian Ocean were beheaded simply uh. because they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in the news right Right now, Jan, is talk of a lot of uh, members of ISIS focusing on uh, the oil and the natural gas-rich regions of Mozambique. They've been killing a lot of the workers, trying to take control of uh, those, uh, those work bases there. But let me tell you about a man by the name of uh, Lumo. Who is he? He's a pastor, a former Muslim in that part of Mozambique. Uh, the man has been uh, targeted. Uh, beaten and jailed, uh, not merely for what he believes, but for how he lives out his Christian faith. You see, he's been admirably sharing the faith uh, with uh, Muslims who have been coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But because of this, he's been assaulted. His wife has been assaulted, many in the congregation as well. And, uh, you know, when I talked to him, uh, you know, in weeks uh, past, how can we pray for you? He did not say Pray for an abrupt end to our uh, suffering. You know what was he saying? He's saying, look, pray that we'll see those around us not as the enemy, but as the mission field. But secondly, that we'd be able to endure and persevere. And you can do that when you can open the Word of God each day and be reminded mm-hmm. of his uh, promise, uh, pr- precious uh, promises. And so remember these brothers and sisters in Mozambique. There's a need for hundreds and hundreds of Bibles right now, Janet. And why? It's because people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and they need what is so elementary, the Christian faith, and that is a Bible. Wow. Well, I, I want to follow up on that a little bit. When you say that these people are coming to know the Lord for the first time, is that kind of the situation in other areas of Africa as well, that the faith is spreading and more and more people are coming to know Jesus Christ? Yeah, let me tell you a real quick story uh, in uh, Zambia. This is where the famous missionary David Livingstone uh, carried out much of his work. Um, yes. A man by the name of Shadrach is an elder in a shanty church there, Janet. He was told that an attack was coming by extremists. Sure enough, one Sunday during the service, that attack came. He had a handgun on him to protect the congregation, and he shot a man in self-defense. The man did not die. Turns out he was an extremist. 
uh, a man by the name of Ishmael. Uh, he nursed him back to health. The man was a livestock farmer. He cared for his livestock. And he also had a daughter who couldn't read or couldn't write because of her social standing in that, in that Islamic community. She was denied an education. So she, he used a Bible League program that gave her the gift of literacy. And I can tell you, uh, everybody in that family came to Christ. But the story does not end there. Because of the Christian love demonstrated by this man, Shadrach, I can tell you about 80 people have come to Christ, and many of those former radicals, uh, Janet, right there deep in the heart of Zambia, Africa. And that's why today is so valuable, because you're basically putting this on the radar of your listeners. Uh, People are learning that the gospel is going forth, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Let me say this. If your pastor has not been beaten, has not been uh, jailed, if you've not had an attack on your congregation on a Sunday morning, thank God for that, but please do not turn a deaf ear to the cries for Bibles right now on the continent of Africa. That's amazing. And again, it only costs $5 to send a Bible to Africa. If you can help, you just call 800 yes word 800 Y-E-S-W-O-R-D or again, there is a Bible League banner to click over at JanetMefford.com and you can help get the Word of God into the hands of these precious brothers and sisters all across the world in Africa and all of these places where Bible League is placed. And right now now, a limited matching gift, as I mentioned before, is in place, so your gift will be doubled. 800-YES-WORD is the number to call. Michael, how is it, and you've seen so much, you've traveled so much, and I know this is kind of rote to you, probably not completely, because these are overwhelming stories, but you've seen so much and you've talked to so many people. What is it like? I think a lot of us wonder when you donate, when you give that $5 to purchase a Bible to send to a brother or sister over in Africa, What's it like when they get the Bible? Can you describe that moment for us? Yeah, you know, Janet, I have seen people uh, cry. I've seen them kiss the Bible. They don't worship the Bible itself. They worship the God of the Bible. But when you've gone so long without uh, your own copy of the Bible, I mean, there's great emotion that comes. Something we can't really can't relate to here. You know, as you're out running errands, you go to maybe a discount retailer, you see they've got Bibles. There's Christian bookstores. You can go online and have one shipped to your doorstep. But when you don't have easy access to God's Word, when it finally hits your hands and goes into your heart, there is great joy. Janet, we see that all over the world, and I can tell you the gospel is taking grip on the continent of Africa. This is actually where it is growing in the greatest numbers. It's not the U.S. Number two is Asia. Number three is Latin America. But there is a great zeal for the Lord and for the gospel, and it comes after many, many uh, centuries, frankly, of dark spiritual darkness. God is redeeming Africa, and that's what we want you to hear loudly and clear today, and we get to be a part of the story of these Christians crying out for the Bible. Well, it's so exciting. And and of course, once you have a Bible and you can read it for the first time, and you've mentioned before you've helped in these literacy efforts, what a difference that makes as a Christian mm. to be able to Amen. have God's word in your hand and to have those precious promises that he gives us in his word. And you can take those in for yourself. It's just incredible. As you mentioned before, you know, we see churches in Africa where just the pastor has a Bible and it shouldn't be that way, especially when it's so affordable to send Bibles to Africa. So I want to tell people once again how they can help out with this great campaign that we have here at Janet Meffer today with Bible League International, this Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 will send a Bible to Africa, actually two because of a limited matching gift, and your gift of $100 will send 20, actually 40 because of the matching gift. What a deal, and it's a wonderful, eternal blessing to be able to do it. Just call 800-YES-WORD, and we thank you so much. And we thank you, Michael Woolworth. Thanks again for being here. Always great to have have you with us. Likewise, Janet. Thank you. You bet. God bless you. We'll return right after this. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit health care sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I find it a little bit funny that President Biden is willing to declare a crisis when it comes to guns, but not a crisis when it comes to the border. It is shameful what is going on in this country on our southern border. And we've had the apprehension now of some of these terrorists, people from who are on the terror watch list for the FBI. And oh, yeah, no, we'll just kind of cover that up. Moving on, moving on. Doesn't matter. Reports of kids who are smashed into these detention centers and are being trafficked or being sexually assaulted. Oh, no problem. Kamala was supposed to go down to the border, was she not? No, she was present for the gun control press conference. So that's the important thing. Let's get to that a little bit. President Biden really enraged a lot of Second Amendment people. The groups and the advocates who are out on the Internet were talking about the fact that he just told all kinds of, let's just call them lies, about what the situation is on the ground pertaining to some of these gun laws and also made typical Biden gaffes. Listen to this one. Cut five. Today, I'm proud to nominate David Chipman to serve as a director of the AFT. David knows AFT well. The AFT? The AFT. No, he means the ATF. The ATF. That's what David Chipman is actually being nominated to head up. And by the way, David Chipman is a big gun control backer. He's now made his Twitter account private. Let's see if he gets away with that, if he actually makes it into that position. Big time gun control guy. Worked with the Giffords. Was a senior advisor there for the Giffords group. And and uh, according to reports, was all for that ATF raid on Waco and David Koresh 
back in the 90s. He thought that was handled just swimmingly as gigantic flames are coming up from the compound there in Waco, Texas, and all these people died. I guess that's that's not a big problem. 82 people killed in the Waco siege, 25 children among those 82 people who were killed, and this guy's all for it. So, of course, he's going to be the love's choice. Big gun control guy. But that wasn't the only thing that President Biden talked about. He also mentioned this. Cut six. These bills, one, require background checks for anyone purchasing a gun at a gun show or an online sale. Most people don't know it. You walk into a store and you buy a gun, you have a background check. But you go to a gun show... You can buy whatever you want and no background check. Flat out false. Not true at all. And if you go to the NRA site, the NRA's Institute for Legislative Action, they have an entire long list of all the laws and the things that are required of gun owners when they do various things involving background checks. They point out, for example, that less than 1% of people get guns at gun shows. So we're talking about a very small number of people, but there's no gun show loophole. Federal law is the same regardless of where a firearm sale takes place. Now, Fox News pointed out that when it comes to the background checks, there are some who will be at gun shows who aren't necessarily licensed. And so, again, we're getting to smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller numbers of people. And what this is all leading to, as we've discussed before on this show, is they want to get a national registry. They want names. They want to know who is armed in this country and what do you do with a registry when you have a registry you can confiscate. Do you really think that these people are not heading toward that? Of course they are. Of course they are. And here's President Biden out calling this a public health crisis. But again, the border is no big deal. Don't worry about all those kids crammed into migrant centers. AOC is not going to go down there anytime soon and take photo ops and cry like she did under President Trump. You should see some of the numbers, by the way, these numbers that are coming out on what's going on on the border. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection actually came out yesterday and released operational statistics for March of 2021. It's absolutely incredible if you look at some of these flowcharts on the hundreds, really the tens, tens of thousands coming into this country compared to the way lower numbers that were under Trump. It's just, it's not even close. Nearly 20,000 unaccompanied minors were apprehended at the border just in March. There's no crisis there, though. Don't worry about it. Colin doesn't need to go down there. She's too busy. She's too busy standing behind Biden in a mask advocating for gun control. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of this. According to Fox, these executive actions and legislative proposals on gun control are all about gun violence being a public health crisis. Uh, Although it's interesting how that Muslim shooter in Colorado kind of came and went as a story and the Nation of Islam guy who rammed into a guy with a car in the nation's capital, that kind of disappeared. See, gun crises matter when they can use it as a narrative to go against certain people in this society and not other people in this society. At any rate, he was joined by Vice President Harris, and he says, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. (laughs) Don't worry at all. These are phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. Yeah, right. There's no there's no threat to the Second Amendment. Who are you going to believe, Biden or your lying eyes? Biden said no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. Well, actually, it is absolute unless you have an effort, a legal effort to undo it. You see, we have a constitutional process for putting into place constitutional amendments. And they actually are absolute, President Biden, until you undo them. 
through the proper means. So what is he talking about? I mean, constitutions aren't aren't absolute either. Why don't we just talk about the living, breathing document that you guys love to slam when you're talking about the U.S. Constitution? He said, from the very beginning, you couldn't own any weapon you wanted to own. From the very beginning, the Second Amendment existed. Certain people weren't allowed to have weapons. So the idea is just bizarre to suggest that some of the things we're recommending are contrary to the Constitution. Well, what is he doing? What is he doing? They detailed the actions to reporters. He is asking the DOJ, for example, to propose within a month a rule to stop ghost guns. These are the kits that people can get legally and put together a functioning firearm without a serial number. He's asking the DOJ to propose within 60 days a rule on braces used for handguns, which make them more accurate, to propose action on community violence intervention, to publish suggestions for red flag legislation. And he's also asking asking his administration to issue a report on gun trafficking. And of course, we know he wants Chipman, the Twitter unaccountable, the unaccountable Twitter user, David Chipman, Mr. Gun Control. Uh, He will respect the Second Amendment, though. Isn't that nice to know? The senior administration official confirmed that David Chipman will respect the Second Amendment. You know what? The people in Washington better not let this guy through. That's all I'm going to say. And from some of the reaction from some of the Republican lawmakers, it doesn't look like they're going to let him through if they can can get away with it. We'll see what happens. So enough, you know, enough is enough with these people. It, it's just it's absolutely crazy. I look at one of these quotes here. He's pushing, for example, for two gun control laws that would go really far. He said we should ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines in this country, saying there's no reason a person would need a weapon that can hold 100 rounds. Well, you know, this is the funny thing about rights, and other people have made this point beautifully. When you have rights, it's not up to anybody else to determine whether or not you have a reason to exercise your rights. There's no reason you should be able to open your business as a small business owner during a pandemic. There's just no reason. Amazon can be open and Target can be open and Walmart can be open and your local grocery store can be open. But I'm sorry, little small business owner. There's no reason you need to be open. Who is the government to tell you that? And we're going to still be discussing these things years from now. Another thing he talked about is eliminating gun manufacturers from the immunity that they receive from Congress. He's referring there to the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which is a law preventing gun makers from being sued for crimes uh, committed with guns that they sell legally. But other people have pointed out that that's not really an accuracy that Biden is talking about. Um, Stephen Gutowski, for example, is the Free Beacon Firearms Policy Reporter. And he said in a tweet that Biden falsely said gun manufacturers are the only outfit that's exempt from being sued. He said Biden wants to repeal this act, which only prevents lawsuits based on the criminal misuse of their products by third parties. Gun makers can and are sued for other reasons. So ask yourself this question. Why do they want to go after guns? What is the reason? Our friend Mark Walters from Armed American Radio has asked this great question time and again. What is it they want to do that would require disarming you? And they start with this kind of stuff, ghost guns. No one cares about ghost guns. What they're doing is they're starting with stuff, as other people have pointed out, that no one really cares about. Some of these things we care about, certainly. But you start out with small stuff and then you just ratchet it up. What is it they want to do that would require disarming Americans? What is it that would be required to get us to give up our guns? And why? 
How come we don't have any reporters who will get to the bottom of that in a press conference? Of course, have we had another press conference recently of any import where the president just interacts with reporters who can ask tough questions? We've had one. That's great. Maybe one a year. If that. I mean, if you can get away with not doing them, then why do them? We don't have a free press that's going to press them on anything anyhow. So what's the difference? Well, maybe we do. I like Peter Ducey over at Fox News. He does a good job, but he'll never get called on. Oh, man, do we need accountability. Thank you so much for being with us. We're out of time, but we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to us. We'll see you on the next Janet Meffer Today. Today.